this is Castle One. Race off the speaking. That's a good one, Jimmy. They're gaining on the Welcome back, podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us for another month of stories from the very heart of our sport. And this month, we've got another great inside story from a man who must be one of the most diverse talents in sailing. Before we get going, thanks for all your messages. It's so good to hear from you. We love hearing what you're up to, listening to us on those long drives as you head to Sunday morning racing or tuning into the podcast as you sail your way around the world. Many thanks for your comments. It's so good to hear from you all. And of course, a massive thanks to all of you who have gone over to buymeacoffee.com and contributed to the podcast. It really is appreciated. And I know we say it every month, but producing this podcast is a time-consuming pursuit. Tim and I put a lot of effort into the pod. So many thanks for your support in keeping this podcast free of ads. If you haven't yet done so and you're a regular listener to our endeavours, it's really easy to find buymeacoffee.com forward slash sailing podcast. It's super quick, super easy, and really is greatly appreciated. So who have we got lined up for you this month? Well, I've known our guest this month for a very long time. In fact, for a while, as I was building up to the Sydney Olympics, he was my training partner. Obviously not a highlight of his career, but it wasn't long before he was sailing Olympic campaigns of his own. In 2008, he scooped a gold medal in the most competitive of Olympic classes after a dominant performance in the laser class. But after a difficult time at his home games in 2012, he decided it was time for a change. I am, of course, talking about British Olympic star Paul Goodison, a multiple Olympian most recently on the world stage in the last America's Cup in Auckland as the mainsail trimmer on American Magic. But his talents don't stop there. Paul is very much a sailor's sailor. He has an absolute talent for reading a race course, evaluating the conditions and making race-winning decisions. He's the only sailor to have won three consecutive world titles in the moth class, a class that attracts the very biggest names in our sport. But he's also won the incredibly prestigious Star Sailors League. He's a real talent, and this month, He's on the podcast. I hope you enjoy the time I spent with Paul Goodison. Ben had his medal with him and all of a sudden you make the connection. This is no longer one of those things you see on the TV that seems so distant. He was like, what's wrong? I was like, oh, I needed to pass you. And he looked back at me and like, you only had to ask. I remember coming ashore thinking that the whole world had fallen apart around me. Paul Goodison, welcome to the podcast, all the way from your home in Lake Garda, lucky chap. How, how are you? How's things? Yeah, really good. Thank you. We've, we've just been uh, evicted from our nice new house because we got the builders in for a couple of days. So I'm uh, a momentarily in, uh, in, my, in my wife's uh, small apartment and uh, we're getting a little settled in here again. 
For our listeners who perhaps don't know how amazing Lake Garda is for a small boat sailor, just just describe it for us. Uh, it's it's heaven. Like um, the sailing's amazing, the the wind's amazing in the summer, and the cycling and and all the water sports here are, are just incredible. We we came back after the the Bermuda Cup, and I was desperate to go and live back in England again. And uh, my wife said, "It's time for us to go to go and live in Italy for a while." And and we came here for the Moth Worlds and. Two weeks later, we, we haven't really, really left since. It is heaven. I highly recommend it. Well, the last time we saw you, Goody, we were all in Auckland. I mean, that's a full year ago now. Time flies, doesn't it? It doesn't feel that long. What have you been up to since then? Oh, so since Auckland again, we, it was all about relocating back to uh, to Garda and, and settling in. We, we finally found a a home we liked and uh, it was really really quite funny because we arrived home and we had nowhere to go so we bought a house while we were in quarantine and then uh, without seeing it and and luckily it was uh, it was it was as we expected so we, we've settled in here the little guys at school here and uh, and really just been doing a whole mix of sailing we took on the the 52 this year I did plenty of moth sailing and some other some other regattas just to to bide my time but for sure um after Auckland, it's 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 not easy to uh, to go without sailing those amazing boats for for so long. So uh, it's uh, it's exciting that it's it's back on the cards again. We'll get to all things America's Cup a little bit later. I promise you that. But there's a lot to talk about. Goody, we're going to go way back now to when you know when you were a nipper starting out. And like myself, Paul, you didn't grow up on on the south coast of England like many of our peers. You're a Yorkshire lad, north of England, for our foreign listeners from Rotherham. That's right, isn't it? I mean, not really in the heartland of dinghy sailing. I think it's probably the furthest point in the UK you can get away from the actual sea. So if you imagine just going north of London for 150 miles and put yourself smack in the middle of the country it was uh there's no ocean there it's all about racing on gravel pits and I guess for me as a as a youngster growing up it wasn't wasn't really my first passion my first passion was football all I wanted to do was was kick the football at the garage door and, and get better at that so I could go play Saturday and Sundays but my my parents loved it my my brother loved it and slowly and steadily it turned from swimming around in gravel pits to to racing in gravel pits but Initially, it was just about going to the sailing club and hanging out with some buddies, going swimming in the lake, capsizing the boats and, and just having fun on the water. That's mad, isn't it? I mean, for our listeners who don't know, Rotherham's sort of level with Manchester and I guess, you know, right in the middle of, of the east and the west coast of England and real, as you say, real soccer, football country, rugby league, I guess, too. It's, it's crazy that you became a sailor. <laughs> it is a little strange like you said just growing up it was all about sport for me at school doing as much as I could from from rugby football cricket tennis badminton literally you name it I was into it it's all I wanted to do was was play sport and it was a it was a real passion of mine and I guess it was when I was 12 13 years old I struggled with a knee injury and and it was kind of at that point where I, I didn't play football for for three months. I was I was resting my leg, and and after that it was it was a little harder to get back into the first team. And I started going sailing a bit more, and uh, I guess it opened up a whole new new avenue to 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 going travelling and to go sailing with with another group of friends. So I kind of ended up doing both, and and then more and more I did 
the sailing, the more and more I enjoyed it, the more places I got to travel and the more people I got to meet. And, and that was, that was what it was all about when I was, uh, when I was young and growing up sailing. You managed to escape Rotherham a few weekends in the year. <laughs> I laughed. I don't think my brother's left for the last six months, maybe, maybe even more. He, uh, he loves it. They're very different to, to me. I'm always about traveling and, and getting around as, as much as I possibly can, seeing new things, doing new stuff. So you started to get competitive, Goody, at doing the youth circuit in the UK. But, you know, you were born the same year as Ben Ainsley. I've done my research. Born almost exactly between Ben and Ian Percy. But also Chris Draper was in there as well. And it was a real golden era of British youth sailing. Bart Simpson was there also. Were you sailing with all those guys as, you know, as a youngster? What was that like? Uh, it was it was really strange, I guess, because I think I was a little bit behind all those guys from from how long I'd been taking sailing seriously. Like I, I remember my going going away. I think I was seventeen years old and, and going to the youth Europeans for the first time. And and people like Ben, Ian, Bart, they'd been around Europe sailing, competing, doing youth worlds, winning medals, and. And I'd been sailing around in gravel pits, capsizing and swimming around and messing around. And I loved the racing. I loved the traveling. And and I remember at one point, it, it kind of dawned on me that if I wanted to keep hanging out with these guys and traveling around, I needed to take my sailing a little bit more serious rather than, than just having fun. And I think my, my dad probably saw it the same way as well. He didn't want to pay for me just to go around, around the world messing around. He, he obviously wanted me to... Uh, to utilize my talent and to and to and to get as good as I could at that sport. And so it all dawned on me, I guess, just before the the Atlanta Olympics. I was there busy doing the the youth nationals, kicking footballs, playing around and, and messing around, racing while there's people like Ben and Ian who were seriously trying to compete for for an Olympic spot and an Olympic medals. And it kind of dawned on me a little bit there that there was a lot more of a serious side to sport and a lot more of a professional side to sport rather than it just being fun and a hobby. And it was something that, that, that excited me and, and that I really wanted to be in, involved with. And I guess the, the biggest part of all that was when, when Ben returned back from Atlanta having, having won a silver medal. And I remember we were all at the Mumbles Laser Nationals. I think he came back and it was the last night. We'd all had a little bit too much to drink and, and we were in some dodgy establishment in in mumbles drinking too much and ben had his medal with him and i remember remember for the first time seeing it was the first olympic medal i'd ever seen and and held and i was like wow and all of a sudden you make the connection this is no longer one of those things you see on the tv that seems so distant and far away this is actually a guy you know a guy you've raced against and sailed against and all of a sudden it became really clear that this was it's not so far away. It's it's actually achievable if you if you have the right work ethic, if you put your mind to it. And it was something I really look back on that and, and remember as a turning point of of me thinking this is definitely something I want to pursue. And uh, and if I, I do want to pursue it, I've got to get a, a bit more serious. It was far away though in some respects. It wasn't I can imagine as you as you got older it was all about Ben, wasn't it? I mean, could you ever see that you'd get that Olympic chance ever with him? I mean, he was so dominant. Oh, he, he was he was so dominant, but it was also so good for me to to be around and to see. I guess coming back from 
Atlanta, it did seem a million miles away. But uh, after I'd finished university and had a bit more time on my hands to, to pursue it, I remember going down to New Zealand and spending the winter down there with uh, with Bart, with Jim Taylor. And, and Ben was there as well, taking taking the sailing a, a lot more serious. And and at that point, I think we, going into the final day of the Worlds, it was part of the qualifying. I think I was third and Ben was fourth. And from where I was 12 months before that, it was it was a different stratosphere. It was unbelievable. I was there challenging and obviously a little bit inexperienced. And, and the last day didn't quite go my way. And, and Ben, after a protest, I think ended up third and I ended up sixth. So, so that left Ben Ben with the uh, the game spot, and then we went on after that to the Europeans. And again, going into the last day of the of the Europeans, I was leading going into the last race, and uh, and Ben did his uh, prerequisite for the Sydney Games by sailing into the back, and then I kind of clawed my way back. I think I needed to finish fifth to to win the Europeans, and my Danish buddy was fifth, and I ended up sixth, and I went over the line and. I think it's one of the rare occasions I slammed my tiller extension. He was, he was like, what's wrong? I was like, oh, I needed to pass you. And he looked back at me. He's like, you only had to ask. <laughs> I was like, come on. <laughs> that was it was quite a funny moment. But but then after that, going and spending all that time with Ben and, and basically just a big eye-opener of, of what professional sport was all about and following him up to the, the Sydney Olympics was, uh, was a real eye-opener. And I think by the end of there, I, I really thought that I could do this and it, it felt very much more more real in uh, in my eyes. What I also remember Paul of that time is the build up to my own campaign for Sydney. So the 2000 games my coach Mark Littlejohn got you in as as my training partner down at Hailing Island on the south of England and we paid you 50 pounds a day to slog back and forth up and down up and down. I'm guessing you've erased that from your memory. No, that that was uh, that was some good experience, Shirley. Not only did I, I learn a little bit about the the Europe and some of the rig and sail design, but it also went a, went a good way to helping me enjoy myself through university. <laughs> I can remember turning up at your house and having a, a nice lunch cooked, and then going sailing all afternoon, which I did enjoy, and then uh, and then having some money to go to the pub in the evening with my buddies. So no, it was uh, it was good times. <laughs> I well, I can tell our listeners you you were pretty hot in the Europe as well. I wouldn't expect anything else. Uh, Goody, let's talk about the Olympic opportunity, Athens 2004, your first, your first game, still pretty young at, at just 27. I mean, how did, how did that come around? Again, after, after Ben moved up to the, to the fin, it was like the door opening wide open for me because I was ready for the challenge and I was, and, some ways I was hoping Ben would stick around because I felt a bit like unfinished business, but in other ways it was like um, it was like this is mine for the taking, and uh, and I really relished the opportunity. I think in the lead up to to Athens meddling at most regattas, I, I went in to the Athens games feeling really strong and and super confident. But as as we all know, things things didn't go quite the way I wanted to. I, I remember the. The last race, I think the the final race was was general recalled, which was lucky because I think I was over. So I I kind of got a second bite of the of the cherry. The coach didn't tell me at the time, which I was kind of grateful for Chris for not not saying that. But then halfway through the last race, I was in a medal position, and then things didn't quite go the way up the last beat. I remember getting caught in the middle with the the Austrian going one side and a Slovenian going going the other side, and it and it slowly slipping away and. 
and that was just devastating i remember coming ashore thinking that the whole world had fallen apart around me and, and i just devastated feeling like i'd let so many people down that had helped me through through the way and it wasn't it wasn't really a nice spot to be in but i remember watching the other guys get the medals and it was awesome to see yourself to see ben to see ian and to see the 470 boys get all the medals and, and nick and it was a great atmosphere to be around and be involved in but it was really tough on a personal note to uh to, to feel the suffering from 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 what I thought was was underachieving and I remember going home from there and, and not really wanting to I guess address the issues trying to hide away just to go and do other things party a bit too much and and kind of think okay what's next what what can I take on what can I do next but I remember it was just after Christmas time I, I had a good think and a good chat with my parents about about what I wanted to do and and it just felt like if I never tried again, it would be unfinished business. And and that was a real motivational point that I was, I decided, look, I want to do this. I can do it and I want to do it right. And and from there on, the next four, three and a half years was was completely focused on, uh, on, on, on Beijing and, and doing the best I could there. I finished fourth in Atlanta. It's, it's a lonely place, isn't it, Paul? And we've talked a bit about that on the podcast before. Um, it's tough to come back from. Yeah, no, it is, it's not nice. But I think it's it's also you learn so much more from some of your biggest defeats than you do from your, your biggest victories. And you not only, I think you learn a lot about yourself and uh, and what motivates you and, and also how to develop yourself, become more analytical and, and change the way you do things. It's uh, it's a great learning opportunity. And I, and I look back now thinking it was probably one of the best experiences I had just from the things I learned from it. And uh, and it's it's something I, I take forward into into my other sailing is, is really trying to learn from from when when you don't do your best. It's easy to to win regattas and and be all happy and smiley, but it's the hard stuff to to lose and to to figure out how to get it right next time. And, and it's a great motivation for me every time I get knocked down to to try and come back stronger and, and harder. And uh, yeah, it's something something I enjoy looking back at now, <laughs> not so much when back back at the time. When we spoke to Tom Slingsby about that, I always remember him saying, "Always fear the person that finished fourth in the games." before and that's so true and I think about it a lot now when I'm commentating at the Olympics but the next games of course for you was Beijing 2008 tell us what you did differently what was the learnings from before and you know how different was your approach to to the previous four years I think that the biggest difference was was goal setting and trying to focus on what you wanted to do and why you wanted it. I think running up to to Athens, I wanted to win everything. I wanted to state my claim. I wanted to feel that I was the best. And and it was more, I guess, probably trying to re- reassure myself that I could do it rather than focusing on the on the things that mattered. And having a having a proper plan was the was the biggest difference for me. And 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 again, I think having the right people around you. And having the experience behind you from from the previous four years helped massively get your head right and have faith in the people that you you trusted and uh, and again that was it was a great time and and a great group of sailors to be around. I remember 
and look back at, at those Olympics thinking there were some of my best mates who were also doing the best they'd done before and it was uh, it was nice to be around and uh, some special times I guess the biggest thing I look back at and, and think about is is the special times I spoke, spent with Bart because he's no longer here to to share those these amazing times that we have sailing these cool boats and it, it meant so much to to me to to have had that time and, and to be to be with him Ian Ben and, and and that tight group that we had some incredible talent I mean the British team was extraordinary back then but the regatta for you goody wasn't an easy one though was it I mean it was light wins if I remember and your first few races were a mixed bag 15th second 15th first it's tough in the laser fleet to keep ahead isn't it I mean what are your memories of the opening part of that event I had no idea what the results were in the first couple of races it's it's funny you remind me of those um I I guess China was a tricky venue and I think one of the things I did really good at was was I guess getting down to weight super early because we all thought it was going to be a light regatta but then also I think the last two weeks I gained two kilos going into the Olympics which was all part of the plan I was I was wanting to be getting fitter and stronger and and the kind of defining day I think was the the fourth day of racing when we did two or three races in 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 strong breeze and that was the time where I was the most concerned being being small and some of the other guys not losing quite as much weight and and they were the days that I I think I had three top tens or maybe even three top fives and it felt like a much a solid performance and it was kind of that at the stage I knew that that it was easily within reach and and now it was all just down to me just ticking the boxes and going through the process and uh, and it felt pretty good to to do well in in what was traditionally probably not my strongest conditions it was one of the strangest outer body experiences i think i've ever had the fact it was a home olympics in weymouth it was something not to be missed but i could hardly pull the boat up the slipway i was almost in tears already on on day one Beijing was the first games, wasn't it, that used the medal race scenario. So the top 10 after fleet racing, you know, sailed in that double points race for the medals. What was the thinking on that change, Paul? And, you know, what did you need going into that medal race? It was a, it was a real strange situation. I think just looking at the medal races in general, I, I kind of wasn't a big fan of it at the time. I think it was it was good for TV, but I thought if you were, the best guy in the regatta and you were you were going to win you it was a chance where you could lose the regatta it, it struck me as that not the best guy could not win or, or had a possibility of not winning which was was really really worrying but as it turned out going into the to the final race it was i was guaranteed a silver medal and to lose the gold medal I had to finish last and the swedish guy had to finish fourth rasmus so it was uh, it was pretty comfortable to say the least, and I remember we had a bit of a match race before the first before the first start, and it was was abandoned because not enough wind. And then the second race got away, and and I just kept the Swedish guy at bay. Um, it didn't feel nice at the time, but the the wind was so light, tricky, and so much tide. I was just so concerned that anything could happen, especially with the the yellow flags and the jury, and I I didn't want to. To have anything taken out of my hands and, and risk risk winning that uh, it obviously had worked so hard for for the for the four years, but it was um, it was a bit bittersweet. I felt 
really felt for Rasmus, um, who who then missed out on on the medal, and uh, it took took four years for that to be righted when when he got to stand on the podium in uh, in London, which 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 felt pretty rewarding for me, and 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 it helped me deal with the the four years earlier. But thinking back, like you cross the line, and and you know it's it's just an immense relief that all that time effort that you've put in has not gone to waste and it, it's more of a thank goodness I didn't mess that up sort of feeling rather than uh, elation and, and being celebrating um, uh, but it, it felt great. Then of course the medal ceremony standing on that top step with all that effort behind you I mean, how was that what were you thinking hearing the anthem the gold medal finally yours Paul? It was one of the strangest out-of-body experiences I think I've ever had. I remember jumping up there, throwing my hands in the air and having the medal placed around my neck. And then you always think you're a bit bigger than crying when you stand up there, but it <laughs> happens to the best of us. And I, I remember just looking into the crowd and it, everything seemed to go hazy. And just at the back of the crowd, I saw my mum who'd been uh, who'd been out there the whole time watching. And, and I tried to look everywhere else, but everything else was blurry. And my mum was just crystal clear and she was sobbing her eyes out. And, and in the end, I was just sobbing my eyes out with my hand on my chest, trying to suck in the air as, as much as I could. But it was uh, it was an amazing feeling and, and something that uh, that I'll never forget. Oh, you're making me cry, Paul. <laughs> Thinking about the moment with your mum, that's, that's a special moment, um, an amazing moment for her too. Incredible. And I was... Uh, um- in our sport, though, Goody, none of us are earning millions winning medals, are we? But what does winning at the Games do for the career? I mean, did winning that medal open doors for you at all? I think for sure you, you have to prove yourself at Olympic level to to want to progress in the sport. And obviously the, the next step or, or the biggest thing in, in professional sailing is, is the America's Cup. It's the it's the coolest boats, it's the fastest boats, it's the biggest teams, the most technology, and it's something that you desperately want to be involved in and be a part of it. And I'm sure that winning there in the uh, in Beijing in the lasers was a, was a good stepping stone for me to to be involved with uh, with Artemis Racing four years later. Um, I look at that, and I think the other part is is just my introduction to moth sailing. And I think I have Adam May to to thank for that. I remember turning up at Artemis just before the San Francisco Cup and, and the guys were out training and Adam says, you've got to have a go in this. And unfortunately for me, I'd previously just bought a A-class catamaran. And uh, and Adam's like, you don't want one of those. I was like, oh, I only got one two months ago. And I remember we were going sailing just in the, in the inner harbour at Alameda. And within about half an hour, I came in just beaming ear to ear and uh, and I ordered one that evening and <laughs> and I think I think the the moth sailing and the the passion I had for that also did a did a great job of, uh, of giving me a stepping stone into into the foiling world and, and the America's Cup. We're going to talk a lot more about that but I want to stay with the games for a little while longer after Beijing obviously attention turned to London 2012 I mean a massive opportunity for any British athlete. A home games is a rarity for most. So was that then a given, Paul, that you'd be back to defend your Olympic title for London? 
it was a it was a real tricky one like you you just achieved pretty much everything you ever wanted to do in the sport and and a little bit you wanted to en- enjoy and 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 branch out you i think the the laser is a tricky one it's so one dimensional um and and so i guess untechnical compared to all the other sailing it's uh, it's it's a very special class where the, the racing is everything and 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 i guess that's the reason why i carried on and and came back i think had it not been london then there's the potential that i would have not been racing at the next olympics but the fact it was a home olympics in weymouth where where i had a house it was it was something not to be missed and something that i was super excited by but also a little bit daunted by spending the next four years doing doing the same old stuff and i guess the hardest thing for me was that i wanted to go and i wanted to do other sailing and every time i come back to the laser it's felt like such a battle to get back to your previous best because the the learning curve was was so shallow but it was something that uh, i guess i needed to to address and to change and, and i played around with different coaches i had a I had a great coach in Chris Gowers that I'd spent most of my career with. And then I had uh, an Australian come and join me for the last 18 months, Arthur Brett, who was uh, a real inspiration. And he changed this mindset from me going through the process and just trying to get to my previous best by opening my eyes to, to new techniques, to new ways of thinking. And he made the, you know, the last our, 12 months so much more exciting and, laser uh, and, and, a, and a great experience. It's a strange kind of boat isn't it i mean i i love to sail boats that are technical where you can kind of you can stack the odds but in a laser you are really <laughs> you are really looking for the tiniest of differences T- talk to us you know about the boat and i guess that that love-hate relationship with it <laughs> yeah like like you said it's it's um very straightforward and the smallest differences make make the difference and it's it's a lot about the time it's a lot about the motivation and it's a lot about being just a perfectionist in every small area because you have so little to make a difference and looking back the reason why i love the laser so much is because of the racing the in the end the, the training was hard it was a bit of a bind it took a lot of stress on your body as i was uh, as i 15 years in i think it was <laughs> But the the racing still excites me now to sail these one design classes, especially. There's nothing more one design than the laser. And it's such an awesome class for me to be out there with 70, 80 boats at the Worlds and being so close and the the tiny margins of difference making making the difference between standing on the podium and not on the podium. And 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 that's what I loved about the laser. Now maybe a bit old for that and I, I like like you said trying to stack the odds in your in your favorite if you can be a little faster and 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 the technical side is is something that that excites me more and more now i can remember we did a lot of media around the british team for weymouth for the london 2012 games and there was a lot of buzz about ben of course nick dempsey had promised his little boy an olympic medal there was ian and bart a young hannah mills charging headfirst into her first games with Saskia Clark. But there was a sense with you, Paul, that things weren't necessarily quite right. I mean, physically, you weren't you weren't in the best shape. I can't quite remember, you know, the ins and outs of it all. But, you know, how did you feel as it, as it all kicked off and got underway? 
I think when it came into the games with two weeks out, I felt fantastic. I was in probably some of the best shape I'd ever been in. The sailing and all the training was going really well. And it was the, I guess, the thing that I hadn't quite managed well enough was that last 10, 15 days run into the start of the Olympics. It's the sort of time where you're hitting a lot of PBs in the gym and you're there in, the, in there with, with Ben, Ian, Bart, and, and you're all still quite competitive. And I, I can remember we had some exercises on the hiking bench where you're hanging weights above your head and swinging around. And I can recall where, because I was feeling so good, I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and I could feel that I'd gone too hard. And it was, it was kind of, oh shit, I've, I've messed up here. So the next, I guess, five or six days were about trying to get myself right and, and backing off from everything. So going in was probably not the best preparation. I felt like I was trying to look after myself rather than trying to, to push myself as hard as I possibly could. And I remember coming in from the first day of sailing, I think it was the the first beat of the second race, bouncing a little bit too hard, and I could feel that my back had gone. And I can remember I could hardly pull pull the boat up the slipway. I was almost in tears already on on day one, and 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 from then it was it was a real battle. Just I guess mentally as well as physically, when you when you're taking painkillers, your your mind's probably not where it needs to be, and uh, and it really felt like such a, a massive missed opportunity. But we we battled through to the end. And, uh, and it didn't finish how I wanted to, but it was, uh, again, great to be part of the bigger team and all the success of, of everybody else. But it, again, it was, it was obviously very, very frustrating and, uh, and I guess sad from, uh, from not achieving what you wanted to achieve. Oh, it's so hard, Goody, isn't it? You know, injury, we don't often have that much injury in, in dinghy sailing, but it's, it's brutal, difficult. Yeah, I guess that was the that was the sign that I was I was probably ready to move on and and do something a little bit less <laughs> less physical. Australians Tom Slingsby was also on a bit of a charge in Weymouth, wasn't he? I mean, what was the mood in the fleet like with Slingsby, who who was on form? I mean, there was rumours, wasn't there, a bit of a niggle between the two of you? Certainly, you were both pitched as, as favourites to take gold. Yeah, no, we we had our ups and downs between myself and Tom. It was a it was a battle in the in the lead up to Beijing. He was always ever so dominant in the in the strong winds and a, and a fantastic sailor. And and running into to London, he he dominated in the stronger winds, but he obviously had weaknesses in the in the other areas. And and they were sort of things that we we were hoping to capitalize on. But but going in, he was uh, he sailed fantastic. He he didn't really put a foot wrong and. Uh, and and deservedly came came away with a gold so it was uh it was a little tough because there wasn't i didn't feel like i put up a fight but it was uh it was it was it's too far away from me after the first day unfortunately well as you say that was that was that seventh overall your last olympic regatta goody i mean how much did it feel like you know you turned your back on Olympic sailing. I mean, was that your choice or, you know, did you miss it? What was that feeling like leaving, leaving the Olympic world? It was, it was a little strange because before a couple of months before the games, I'd already had chats with Bart about moving into the star and about Ian was planning on moving away and doing other things. And, and kind of in my mind that the next step was, was still to continue doing some 
Olympic sailing in the star with something a little bit more technical um, that would would excite me and 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 change it up a little bit. As but unfortunately that that went away. So I think it was it was an easy decision. I was I was never going to be big enough for a for a fin and uh, and and I I paid my dues in the laser so to speak. I think. I think it had a good innings, and uh, and I was ready to move on to 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 new uh, to new things. Well, move on, you did, Goody. You've mentioned getting into the moth already, but I wanted to talk specifically about your prolific record in the moth class. Tell us again, Paul, how that really got going, and what it was that first drew you into moth sailing. I think, as as we spoke about earlier, the the introduction was was Adam May when I was at the Artemis base saying, "Come on, give this a go." And uh, and it was almost like, wow, you can go so fast with so little effort. Something that was almost unheard of in the laser. You had to work so hard to go so slow. It was uh, it was just eye opening. And and I love the technical side from being, I guess, subdued for so long in the in the laser with with nothing to play around with, nothing to to experiment with. To then literally, the you can try whatever you want, whenever you want, and. And I remember being in Weymouth, I spent a lot of time sailing with Chris Draper at the time, Simon Hiscox, and a whole bunch of, of Weymouth guys that were so into into this moth sailing. When we called it Foil Town and we'd be out there almost every hour that, that we could sailing around in our moth beating the beating the crap out of each other. It was uh, it was awesome. And then we'd we'd go back to Simon Hescox and have a cup of tea and discuss who was best and we'd all have our own opinions that we were better than each other and it just made for for great entertainment and, and great banter and it was it was uh it was like my my second love for sailing again it was something that I just could not get enough of I think I tried the windsurfing and the kite surfing but this was the my real passion again and something that I, I just just loved being involved with how easy a transition is it from the traditional laser or you know normal kind of dinghy to sailing a foiling moth? I mean, obviously you don't have to jump straight to the moth. There's entry level options, but even so, foiling in a one person rocket ship, how achievable is that for someone thinking about getting into it? I think now it's it's a lot more achievable than it was back then. The uh, the technology, the advancements in the boats, and the control systems is night and day better than it was was back then i remember back then pieces falling off and you'd be swimming around trying to piece the thing back together and, and get in and you'd have the wrong foil or the wrong mask and now it seems like the equipment has progressed so much in the last five or six years that that so many of the boats are way more accessible to to the to the standard i guess club sailor to come in and give it a go and get some real thrill and enjoyment from from what I think is is probably the coolest cheapest small boat out there when you compare it to the other foiling boats that, that go considerably faster it's not that cheap goody <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I can remember at the time if you're I can sailing around in your laser no I can remember at the time I think my my moth cost maybe three times more than my car at the time when, when we first started uh, moths. In fact, even now, I had a couple of moths in the garage the other day and my wife was asking me why the car's parked outside and I had to remind her that one of the boats was probably worth more than both of the cars that were outside. So, yeah, no, it is uh, it is an expensive hobby, but it's uh, it's something that's, that's just amazing and, and everybody 
gets carried away and probably spends more than they should do on uh, on these little toys. You can tell your wife it's been worth the investment. And we'll get on to the cup a little later. But I, I can remember filming in Bermuda a lot in the build-up to the 2017 Cup. And whenever we came to Artemis to see Ian Percy, you were nowhere to be seen, always out on the moth, foiling around the great sound. Is that where you put all your hours in? Uh, that was one of the, the big jumps, I guess, for me, I guess. Once I first started, I think my first moth was in Halen Island and, and Nathan turned up and gave us all an absolute kick in. I remember I was blaming on not having the right size foil, this, that and the other. There's a hundred excuses, but then I'd go and spend a lot more time with with him and, and Goobs and Francesco Bruni. And, and a big part of the, the Artemis training was the small boats. We were identified early on that we had starting issues. And at that point, we didn't have simulation and, and ways we could replicate a lot of the practice. So it was all about going out in the small boats and, and beating each other up. And I wanted to prove myself. And every spare bit of time I had, I wanted to be out there getting better and better. And, and that's, that's, I was super motivated. And that was my, my way, I guess, of trying to prove to everybody that was, I was good enough to be there and, and I wanted to be, to be doing it. Well, we always knew where to find you. That was for sure. Are you that kind of sailor, Paul, that just puts in more hours than anyone else? I think when you enjoy something and you want to get better at it, it's easy just to get carried away and put in every hour that you can. And and I guess that's, for me, that's how a lot of the guys I look up to in sailing, you see how Ben achieves it. You so I, I could see how yourself achieve that sort of thing. You work harder than everybody else around and there's so many people with talent it's the guys who work hardest that, that that win and that's i guess my my mindset that if i want to get better i need to work harder at it and, and spend more time doing it and that was that was a big part of it at, at artemis we we only had limited i especially had limited amount of time i could be sailing the catamarans because i was on the second boat most of the time and if only one boat sailed i'd get very limited amount of time sailing it and, and my way of trying to catch up and, and keep up was was spending the extra hours out moth sailing and, and and getting better at that i've been to a few moth events i mean your first moth worlds was one in 2016 japan many of the big names were absent i guess they were cup sailing but that's where you won your first moth title yeah no that was uh i basically we were we were between i think boats in the in Artemis, and I asked, I basically begged Ian. I said, "Look, could I have two weeks off work to go and do this? This is something I desperately need to do. Go and do." I think Goobs and, uh, and Nathan were away, forty-nine assailant at a time, and I'd been basically granted two weeks leave to go to go and do the Mothwell. So we had an amazing time in Japan, and uh, and to win the World's F was uh, was super cool. It was not only the the moth classes different to any of the other classes it's not just about the racing the it's like a big family that travels around the world everybody helps each other out and it's it's super cool to be involved with and and to win was obviously one of what i wanted to do but more just the experience and, and being there with a, a bunch of amazing friends and people and, and to share share that time was felt felt very special it was also Nice to get off uh, seven till seven at the Artemis base for two weeks. 
You put the R's in at the cup, that's for sure. Well, by 2017, though, Paul, the Moth Worlds were back to a full roster. The talent at a big Moth event is frightening. And that year, it was no exception. Was it Slingsby, Outeridge, Bruni, Pete Burling, Gibbs Jensen? I mean, I could go on. Olympic medalists, cup winners. The Moth Worlds attract so many big names. Tell us how that regatta went down. That was one of the most special sailing regattas, I think that's ever been this, especially for me. I think regardless of winning, losing, it was such a special time that it was straight after the Bermuda Cup. Everybody was there, everybody from all the different teams, the top guys were there. And I just remember going into that again. It's one of those things I wanted to prove that I was good enough to be doing doing the roles I wanted to be doing on the on the America's Cup. Not I didn't want to be in the second boat. I, I wanted to be in in the first boat and it was the the, the the chance I had to to race against these guys one-on-one in in the same boats on the on the same race course and and it was something I was super super motivated by and something I desperately wanted to uh, to dominate and I went into those that event I think the the nationals was a week before where I won most of the races and felt super confident and then going into the to the actual worlds it everything went as well as could be expected and, and winning with two races to spare was uh, was very very special how important was that victory for you paul for me on a personal level i think it was massive i wanted to prove to myself that i could beat all these other guys and and that was i guess my only opportunity to to, to show and to do that um but again it was also just an amazing time to be around so many friends. It, the regatta was important, but we'd still be going to the pub every night and having a beer, or we'd still be hanging out and going to dinners together. And no matter who you were racing against, it was you were friends. And uh, and that again, what's so special about the moth? Well, you want a third moth world in Bermuda, three on the bounce in any class. That's pretty good going. But in the moth class, that's pretty impressive, Paul. I mean, do you think that changed people's perception of you as as a class act sailor? Um, I'm hoping that that happened in Garda, but uh, but but maybe it did. It was uh, it wasn't quite as strong as the the fleet had been in the in the Garda worlds. But again, it was a it was another tough regatta and. and and nice to win it and again that one I was a little bit more relaxed in, in Bermuda it was more like going back to Bermuda I was there with, with my wife and just it was, it was like a, an amazing holiday back in paradise again and, and just it was just special good special times why do you think you were so good in the moss class again I think it's it's one of those things that the the harder you work at the the better you get and it's if you are, if you are into it and you, and you want to win, you, you work harder than everybody else. But it's also very technical. I think you you need to also be very good at identifying what what makes the boat go faster and working on on the key details because everybody at that point was pretty much using the same platform. And and for me, it was all about developing the sails and the rigs and, and spending more time and. And getting comfortable about where the crossovers were and where you needed to to invest your time and effort, and I think that's that's something that I I did quite well in uh, in those three moth worlds. I, I identified I think the right the right things to focus on and and, and did a little, little bit better job 
than the other guys as, as well as sailing, sailing the boat well. Paul Goodison, everyone. I've never heard that story about the injury in the gym just before 2012. That's terrible timing. But what an approach to competition. Well, part two, we hear how Paul's career continued to grow as he moved into the big leagues with a step up to the world of the America's Cup. And if you're an American Magic fan, he's also got a little bit of news for us. Of course, a huge thanks to Paul for his time. Paul, thank you for sitting down with us to record the pod. And of course, to Tim at Vertigo Films for putting the podcast together each month. And of course, to you for tuning in. Thanks for joining us this month. If you like what you're hearing and you're loving the ad-free interviews we bring you each month, then please do take the time to visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash sailing podcast and support the podcast. It's quick and easy. Leave us a message. It's lovely to have your support. Thank you. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Have fun on the water and sail safe, everyone. This is Castle One standing by. Out. Oh.